Good morning, sports fans. Fill up that coffee cup and that bowl. Sit back and relax. Because live from Colorado, it's time for the Sports Offensive. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual to have fun with anyone. But when I see you goodbye... Thanks for uh, tuning into the Sports Offensive. We appreciate your listening to us this morning. Just got uh, in from outside, and it is colder than a witch's tit out there. We were supposed to get snow all weekend, but that's kind of taken a back seat, and looks like we may not get hardly at all. Uh, I am flying solo in the studio here, but I do have both of my co-hosts on the phone right now. JP, how are things down in your neck of the woods? So everything down here is actually doing just fine. Looking out at the pool right now, sitting at my desk, and uh, you know, happy to call in today. Sorry I couldn't make it up there. And, uh, yeah, we had a big week in sports, so let's hit it. And uh, also we have Nate on the phone. Now, Nate actually is going to be heading out to a uh, sports collectible show later on this afternoon. And for those of you who haven't uh, seen our website or uh, seen a tweet on it, Nate is now uh, doing his unboxing or unwrapping videos of the baseball cards that he's uh, – out searching for and and trying to uncover and unearth and those videos are going to be on our youtube channel for the sports offensive you can find a link to that uh, obviously on our sports uh, on our web page and uh, the links will also be on the tweets that you can see uh, that will lead straight to that video uh, nate what are you uh, hoping to find down there at the sports show this afternoon well, hey guys, good morning. Um, it's uh, it is a cold one today. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going down to Colorado Springs, and uh, I've kind of been on this, uh, been trying to find unopened material lately. So anything from the '70s, uh, the old wax packs, the rack packs that you could get in grocery stores. Uh, they called them cello packs, where they just kind of stacked the cards and wrapped them in cellophane. Uh, those cards, you know, pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to be searching for some old seventies cards and, uh, it's kind of like a lottery ticket, man. I'm hoping for a big payday. Uh, you never know what you might find in those things. Is there a specific card that you think you have a, like, what would be the card that would have a significant value that you think you have the best chance of ever uncovering? Hmm. So with, with what I'm after right now, it's a, it's a lot of like mid to late seventies baseball cards, so, you know, you're you're usually looking for some rookie cards in that situation. So, like, George Brett and Robin Yount were both rookies in 1975, and those cards in gem mint condition could fetch anywhere from twenty to $30,000. Uh, so that's kind of my focus right now is looking at those two cards from the 75 year. Uh, I'm also looking at 78 which was the rookie year for Eddie Murray, Paul Molitor, and Jack Morris. Uh, those cards are all, uh, you know, worth, worth around 1000 to 2000 in Gem Mint, which is basically a perfect card. <laughs> we can explain that another day. But, uh, you know, those are all uh, worth, you know, four or five figures. So that's kind of what we're after. Excellent. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we, we, I mean we kind of talked about this on the show before about, you know, what you're looking for, what makes a card a gem mint and how it's centered and how the edges are sure. and all that kind of stuff. So um, now, uh, JP, you said that you sent me the trivia question and I e- either didn't go to the right email or it just hasn't loaded. Do you have it on hand that you can ask, just ask it? So uh, why? Yes, I do. Okay. So the trivia question of the day is which of the following did Hall of Fame 
great. Hank Aaron, not accomplished. Okay, your choices are won two batting titles in his career, hit 755 career home runs, won an NL MVP award, hit 50 home runs in a season twice. Hmm. Well, I think I may know the answer to that one. Uh, now, GP, just one of those he didn't do or one of those he did do? No, uh, no there is not. not. You're correct. There's one on there that he did not do. Okay, well, I think I know the answer to that one, but that's a good question. And uh, I think I know the way, answer as well, but it is a good question. And either way, knowing that he did all but one of those things tells you why the man's a Hall of Famer. I mean, that, that's a fantastic career uh, to do even two of those things. Uh, win a couple of batting titles, hit 50 home runs a couple of times, hit 700 home runs. Those are all pretty much a good chance at the Hall of Fame, especially you know with the how lenient they are on letting people in these days. So, uh, and then Nate, that's down in Colorado Springs today. That the uh, the that card show that you're going to. Mm-hmm. What about it, Mark? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I I just wanted to make sure that was that's in Colorado Springs that that shows at. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's at a Radisson Hotel down in Colorado Springs. Yep, they do it about every three weeks. All right. Well, if anybody, uh, any of our listeners are uh, are in that area or want to head down to that area, you can go there and you can meet Nate, and he can give you a uh, uh, maybe take a video with you that we can put on our show page. So uh, you know, we'd be happy to have you guys yeah. go there. Real quick, we do Absolutely. want to remind you, and I want I do want to let our li- our listeners know we're going to try to start doing about one video a week starting next week, uh, opening some material. So we're like I said, we're going to focus on some uh, '70s baseball cards, uh, some air cards from the '80s, and then also uh, I got some basketball packs from the '80s as well. Uh, we're going to be looking for some bird rookies, some Magic rookies, and some Jordan rookies. And the Jordan rookie was uh, it's thirty grand if it's uh, if it's in mint condition is that right? Yes, if it's in mint, yep, perfect card. It's a lot of yeah. Money. I remember you <laughs> were looking at those, those values, and uh, you've commented more than a few times about how much the value drops when you go from an eight to a seven. So hopefully you'll uncover something yep. in the eight, nine, ten range where you can uh, cash that baby in, and uh, we can buy a studio for the show. So that would be excellent. that would be awesome. <laughs> for everyone out there, uh, thanks again for tuning in. Do us a huge favor. If you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, helps us get a little exposure. We're at the handle at the SPT Offensive. You can find us on Instagram under the handle the Sports Offensive with underscores between the words. You can go to our station website. That's the sportsoffensive.com. Again, the sportsoffensive.com. You can uh, learn about us, listen to our shows, past and current episodes. You can also check out, like I said, the new video we have of Nate unboxing. Uh, I believe it was a few Fleers and a few uh, Tops rookie sets, or maybe one Tops and, and some Fleers. And uh, we also do want to send a, a shout out to our show sponsors and supporters, Idiot Cult T-Shirts, Health Guru, EK Fit, and the Space Savers over at Operation Organize. And remember, you can always check us out on demand at Blog Talk Radio, TuneIn, iHeart, Stitcher, and as an iTunes podcast. Feel free to call into the show. We'll take any call you got, three, uh, 929-477-3204. Again, 929-477-3204. So, uh, I, you know, and I, we've, like I said, it's kind of a, a different show for us. Uh, Nate has to head out early to the card show. JP has been dealing with a pretty bad fever. That's why we're not all localized today. Now, JP, I realize that, you know, I think that you'll be okay for a good portion of the show if you do feel 
uh, under the weather, you know, you can bow out. Uh, Nate, did you have a specific time that you need to uh, leave the show today? Yeah, sorry, guys. I'm probably good till about 930, so maybe another 20 minutes or so. Okay, well, I, would, I just wanted to know that so I could kind of gauge sure. which part of our show to do when. So, Nate, since you'll be heading Absolutely. out, this is what I thought would be fun for our listeners. You know, fantasy baseball is coming right down the pipe. Uh, it's it's going to be here before you know it. Don't forget, folks, this is the earliest opening day, I think, ever, or at least since they went to 162 games. Uh, March 28th, I think, is the first day of the season. There's uh, some games even earlier, or maybe – I think it's the games that are even earlier where they're playing in Japan. It's the Mariners versus someone. And the Mariners have picked up Ichiro for that series and possibly longer the season. Uh, but then considering the glut of outfield talent they have, that, that's probably not going to happen. But uh, make sure that you are ready for your, 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 your draft ahead of time. And this is kind of unprecedented that spring training started. I don't think position players have reported yet. We know that pitchers and catchers for most teams or even all teams have the two biggest free agents of the year. uh, It's a tired story at this point, but they're still not signed Machado and Bryce Harper still both unsigned, which is kind of crazy and could have a huge impact on where they are drafted. Because when you miss, there's a lot of guys still available. Well, right, but I mean, I just, I just can't believe the two best players that have been in free agency in a while are are unsigned and you don't could, even seem to be getting a lot of hits. You could argue that the third person too is is Craig Kimbrell, and he hasn't been signed yet. Yeah, that's interesting. After especially because I mean, as far as I remember, he was good for Boston last year. Still think he oh, seems he to have fantastic, and he still has elite closer stuff. So I'm a little confused why he's not signed. I'm also shocked that Dallas Keuchel has all money. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're going to spend money on, on your bullpen, there's a great guy to spend your money on. I mean, sure. The Dodgers and the Yankees and you know, they don't need anyone and the Cubs probably don't need anyone, but boy, there's a lot of teams out there that could use someone. Uh, We know Osuna is going to be starting for the Astros. Oh God. The Cubs could use, the Cubs could totally use him. Well, I was thinking for the Cubs. Cubs. Didn't the Cubs aren't the Cubs going with Morrow as their closer? They are, but the guy is always hurt. <laughs> That's a good point. Although I tell you what, that last season, the last two seasons he was with the Dodgers, that guy was a fireballer out of the bullpen and and did very yeah, well. Well, he was so, good last year for the Cubs when he played, but he was hurt the whole okay, time, and he's always hurt. The season last year, I I, I didn't follow the Cubs yeah. that close again, so. Yeah. Uh, Exciting finish in the National League last year. Hopefully it'll be a little less intense this year, at least in terms of how, where the Dodgers are coming from. But I don't really think that'll be an issue because that division is getting worse, not better. Uh, the Rockies may be challenged. I'm not sure even that's going to happen this season. So the Giants look terrible. The Padres, uh, they're trying to get Machado or Harper, but they look horrible. Diamondbacks are definitely going the wrong direction. And I wouldn't be shocked to see Paul Goldschmidt traded by midseason. And he's already been traded. <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt's not on the. Oh, that's right, man. See, everything's yeah. going. This is what happens when you try not to do research on fantasy baseball beforehand too much. Uh, forget mm-hmm. where people. Are going. Is he's with the Cardinals now? Yeah. That's that's correct. 
Yeah. So, well, that's even better. So then, yeah, the Diamondbacks are going to be terrible. So I don't have any idea yeah. who would even challenge the Dodgers for a spot. The Central should be a wide open race. Cardinals, Pirates, uh, Cubs, Brewers. I mean, who knows what's going to happen there? Is uh, is Grinky a free agent too? Is he still unsigned? I haven't heard of him signing anywhere. I didn't know that. I mean, Arizona released him. I don't know. I thought he was a free agent, but. You know what? I, like I said, I've been trying to not overflow my mind with uh, baseball knowledge. Cause it yeah. hurt look, me. JP, look that uh, up, man. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, Nate, the one thing I wanted to do with you before you headed out, which I thought would be fun for our listeners, is uh, without looking at it, or I don't know if you've already looked at it, uh, I put down here the first round of the CBS Experts Draft. Now, I don't believe they specified if it was a head, uh, like a, for a points league, for a rotisserie league, for any of that stuff. I think that they just uh, put, you know, just like I think it was just a straight fantasy draft, just picking the best players, basically. And I thought it'd be interesting to see how close you could get to who they took in each position. And there's 12 total picks mm-hmm. in that first round. So uh, number one pick, you know, this year, it, it, there is kind of a question. There's, there's a few different guys that could go. So what do you think they took as the number one pick? Well, it's for it's one of two guys. I mean, I, boy, that's a tough one. After the year that Mookie had last year, I would say he's got to be close, but I think they probably still put Trout one. They did still take Trout one, and they took Betts number two. So I don't think there's any question that those are your top two players in the draft, and those would probably be the top two players taken. Uh, but, yeah, but which one gets taken is, is up for conjecture. I mean, Trout obviously is an amazing talent, but Mookie, you know, has really – I mean, he, from being a great player to a superstar last year, he really broke out the mold. So uh, I don't think you could probably go wrong with either one. <coughs> All going to come down to if someone gets injured or not. So number three, I'm guessing, won't be, a, won't be too hard for you, but, but it might trip you up. Well – Again, it kind of comes down to two or three guys. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Jose Ramirez just because what he's done the last two years. You are correct. All right, so you're three for three. Good job. The fourth one, I think, is going to trip you up. But give it a shot. Yeah, this is probably tough. Okay, so I, what? Who comes to mind for me is Nolan Arenado. Um. Who else would be up that high? Boy, that's a tough. I guess Altuve, but he probably fell after last year. Uh, yeah, I guess let's go with that. You're right, Nolan Arenado. Excellent work. I, you know, I thought he would drop after the iffy beginning of the season that he had, but he really turned it on down the stretch. And I'm sure that's what people remember. Yeah. So, uh, how yeah, about number yeah, five? He's so good. Ooh. That's a tough one, man. I, I, you know, from here it gets pretty tough. I, I would guess that it's probably an established player. Uh, it's got to be somebody that hits a lot of home runs. Um, boy, that is tough. I guess I'll go with Altuve just because he's still so good. Actually, it's Adam Wainwright, believe it or not. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so number five, <laughs> Adam, uh, number five is a pitcher. So does that help you? It's a pitcher. 
Um, yeah. I guess it would have to be Max Scherzer. There you go. I I think he's your probably your undisputed number one in the league right now. Um, just in terms of if you want to be if you want to have the lowest risk possible, I think that's your guy. Uh, Washington, of course, did not play nearly as well as they have in previous seasons, but I mean, he they still he still did well, um, and yeah. he's going to get you know he's I don't think he'll ever get less than fifteen wins unless that team completely bottoms out, which is going to be interesting with them with no Daniel Murphy, no Bryce Harper. I guess they could still get Bryce Harper, but with what they're losing, what they've lost, you know, they're going to have to have Adam Eaton's going to have to finally be stay healthy and hope that the, the injuries haven't sapped all of the energy out of his legs. So I don't think they're going to be, I think they will be real close to what they were last year. You know, they're getting two full seasons out of two kids that they have that are just as good as the guys they lost. That Juan Soto, he could be as good as Bryce Harper, real close. Uh, yeah, he's he, going to be fantastic. And they have um, another and, kid in the in the minors, too. Uh, Victor Robles is an outfielder that's uh, looking to, have, you know, he's he's got a ton of talent. I'm sure he's a, a top 20 or so in the, in the uh, minor league rankings. Um, so, you know, they've got a couple young guys coming up and then, you know, they still got Max Scherzer. They still got, uh, Strasburg. Uh, you know, they, they've got a pretty good team yet. They're, they're, you know, they're not, uh, they're not falling away just yet. No, but, uh, I think you got to be careful in, in predicting too much from, from minor leaguers. I mean, obviously Acuna kind of came through and there's always those surprises every year, but it's when you're counting on a guy coming through instead True. of a guy forcing his way onto the field uh, is a little bit different, nope, but you are I, correct. I, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all on the talent level. The talent level for those guys is off mm-hmm. the charts. Um, number yeah. six in this draft, you already picked, which is Jose Altuve, which that's a bargain to me. I mean, come on. The guy just had a, just had a bad year, man. He was hurt. You know, his knee was messed up uh, with a fracture yep. or whatever it was on the top of his knee. That's not happening again this year. The guy is only 27. The steals might drop off a bit, but the power should increase. Uh, I, I think he has a great bounce. He's a great bounce back candidate. Before we go on to the rest of the picks, JP, were you able to see if uh, Granky is a free agent? So yes, I did. Granky is not a free agent. He reported to the Diamondbacks camp yesterday. All right, so he's back with the Diamondbacks. Oh. Kind of crazy to think. Go. Way back. You know, when they kind of overhauled that pitching staff, it was Dave Stewart was the was the GM and, and Tony La Russa, you know, was the president of operations, I think it was. And they brought in Granke and they brought in Shelby Miller and a couple other players. And boy, the team just bottomed out that year. And I think it was just bad luck because those players have been generally good since then. Well, at least Granke has been. But boy, that was not at all what they were expecting when they put together that pitching staff. And I think it got... Dave Stewart and Tony La Russa fired within only like two it seasons. Did. So yeah, I, I don't, yep. I don't like the fast firing thing. All I can think of is that they told the ownership, you're just a couple of players away from a title. And then the owners, you know, opened up their pocketbook and got those guys and they didn't produce as well as they'd hoped. The team didn't produce that well. And that's why they got canned. Cause otherwise Boy, man, you can't expect to turn a mid-level franchise around in one or two seasons. You just—that's—it's not enough time to restock and overhaul a you know a minor leagues if it's not producing a lot of talent. And 
I think we can all agree that the, the Diamondbacks have not produced a lot of talent out of their minor leagues. I mean, other than Paul Goldschmidt, which is that's a long time ago from his rookie year, you know, they they really haven't produced a lot of studs that I can remember. I mean, that Chris Owens was always supposed to be better than he was. I guess you could say Pollock. I mean, I think he was I think he was groomed through their yep, system. He was. And you could Pollock. say Robbie Ray. Yeah, I get. I, I, I mean, what, what, what kind of a grade would you give Robbie Ray? I mean, has he? How good a player is he? I mean, I think he is a solid number two at okay. this point. Um, you know, last year he definitely, you know, he was hurt, but he tapered off quite a bit from his breakout year the year before. Uh, so I guess this year is kind of a big year for him. We'll see if he's able to bounce back at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of kind of certainly a gimmick, from a talent of, from a talent perspective, he's got. Yeah, I just kinda, I just kind of felt like he was that he that you kind of have your window to to hit your promise, and if it doesn't materialize, you can still be a a good player, but I I you either kind of make that leap, or you don't make that leap, and some guys can do it later in their career, but it just doesn't happen often that way. It kind of seems mm-hmm. to happen early on when the talent level is so high and, and, and you're youthful enough, you know, to do it. But, um, sure. you know, who knows? I mean, I, I thought Robbie Ray was going to be amazing last year. and It didn't happen. So I'm a little down on him this year, but you know what? A lot of times that can mean good things for, for a player if I'm down on them the next year. So, all right, sure. let's move on. To the seventh pick of the draft, this is where uh, this is definitely where things start to kind of go off the rails, in my opinion. And I'm also staggered. Well, we'll get into it as you go through them. So, any guesses on number seven, or would you like a hint? I mean, I'll guess. Uh, they seem to be up on the young players, so I'm gonna. I'll say uh, the shortstop from the Nationals, Turner. Nailed it. Well done. Well done. I didn't think he would be that high this year. I thought he'd be more of an 11 or a 12 just because he doesn't quite produce with the promise that people have said. And, you know, he's not quite the first round. He didn't give you that first round numbers that you were looking for last year. I took him. He just put him, you know, he was pretty steady. You know, don't get yeah. me wrong. I mean, he was 20 a week all the time. But, uh, yeah, I think maybe this year he's a little better than he was. And, you know, I've always kind of felt like in fantasy baseball as opposed to fantasy football, in that first round or even the first two rounds, what really can lead to a lot of success is you can go two different routes. One is getting just top overall points producers, so that's always a good thing. But that can also be a player that can be sporadic in how they give you those kind of points. Nolan Arenado is a great example last year. Ended up with a ton of points, but they all came in the latter half of the season. Uh, But, you know, kind of the other thing you can do is dominate certain positions. If you can get the best player at two different positions in your first two picks, you know, which you have an option, if you're in the latter half of that first round – there's going to be some positions that don't get touched earlier on, and you might be able to snag the best or real close to the best guy at that position, then you wrap around at another position. And if they're weaker positions, I think it can really it, it can help you. I mean, if you were to get a first baseman and a second baseman that were top notch in those first two rounds, 
you know, I mean, you get that Altuve at like seven or eight if he happens to fall that far, and you grab yourself, you know, a first baseman stud on the round, on the wraparound pick. Uh, you know, I think that can also be a winning strategy in fantasy. Before we go on to the next pick, Nate, just want to get your feelings really quick on Mondesi and Vlad Jr. Which of these or either do you think make the biggest impact this year? Well, I, I think it's a no. I mean, I think Mondesi is a very good player. Don't get me wrong. I think he's an all-star. However, everything I see, read, and watch about uh, about Guerrero is that he is this transcendent player and could be kind of a generational type guy um, from a hitting perspective, at least. So that, you know, I'm going to put my money on him. And I think, you know, I could see him going as early as the third round, if not even a little earlier. Most ADPs at this point have been placing him around the fourth round, which was a round, big, okay. Yeah. I mean, I just I think know our group of, of people and, uh, if he doesn't go by the third, I'll be shocked. I agree. Yeah, our 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 league has some smart drafters, some smart players, some smart GMs, and I it's very it's very rare that someone doesn't focus on youth uh, early in the draft. But that seems to be a constant. The older players, they just don't do quite the same thing as they do uh, as the young players do when they're mm-hmm. explosive. And uh, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, third round would, would be most likely, in my opinion. I know we're getting close to time. you got to go here. So we'll try and burn through the rest of this draft. Uh, <laughs> number eight pick. Any idea? Well, this is, I mean, like you said, this is where stuff kind of gets difficult. And I'm throwing around about five or six names in my head to kind of round out the first round here. And so, I, you know, I know Bryce Harper is one of them. Aaron Judge. Um, you know, uh, Kershaw, um, uh, Ozzy Albies. I don't know if he's a first rounder, but boy, he had a good year last year. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anybody take him in the first if, round, but he's a good player. Yeah, I guess if I had to pick somebody at eight, I would go between either Aaron Judge or Bryce Harper, and I think I'll give the slight edge to Bryce. So I'll help you out a little bit. Aaron Judge is not in the top 12, not in the first round. Okay. Bryce Harper is, okay. he's, which I think is just about right. Um, yep. If he gets drafted by the – depending on what team he signs with, maybe move him up a spot or two. But it depends like, on the ballpark that he's going to be playing in and then the kind of lineup around him whatnot. Yeah, I mean, uh, so if the Yankees get him, I think he moves up about five spots. That would right, be because the one he, team. his run and his RBI total should both exceed 110 in that point. So – that'll make and a that big lineup in that all part everything fits well for him in that on that team so sure Homer that too. would be i could see him go up quite a bit there yeah i mean that ballpark oh. for a lefty i mean he'll hit yeah. 50 homers there's that there's that little wind tunnel right so just go launch yep. so uh so actually number, number 8 is actually JD Martinez now i don't think that should be a huge shock wait 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 Number nine. Number eight. Oh, okay. Number eight is James Martinez. We miss him. Well, no, I okay. told you Bryce Harper is number him. 12. Oh, no, so got it. That's why I was confused. Okay, yep, got it. Yeah, he's number 12. Okay, so moving on to number nine, it's a player you have not mentioned yet. 
just to give you a hint. Is this a player or what? That you have not mentioned. Okay. Um, well, some of the players that come to mind that I haven't mentioned that I think are good are, uh, you know, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo are two guys that come to mind from the Cubs. Um, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I guess I'll go with Chris Bryant. So neither Chris Bryant or Rizzo are on this list. Uh, number nine okay. is Fair actually enough. Alex Bregman breaks the top ten. I actually thought he would go higher. Wow. Than Had a big year last year. The guy's got the talent is off the charts. Uh, if that guy does what he could do, what Mookie Betts did this year, he could go from an all star to a superstar if if he really pulls it together. And that team is a good place to do it. That team's got talent up and down the roster with a lot of maturity above their years. And a couple of players who had their superstardom jumps that I think could help him in Correa and, and uh, Altuve, I think could really help uh, Bregman move up. Uh, you know, Carlos Correa is not in this top 12. What round do you think he goes in? Does he make it past the second this year? No. I agree. I agree. Number uh, 10 is another player you have not mentioned. Think of someone who really broke out last year. Hmm. Not that that narrows it down that much, but, you know, he did have a yeah. he had an excellent year last year. Out, out, outplayed his drafting position. Well, if you hadn't had Tommy John surgery, I'd probably put Otani in there somewhere. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, he's certainly not going to get drafted in the first round. No, 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 not for sure. Um, <laughs> man, that is—it's tough. It's getting thin now. Um, Let me give you a tip: it's an infielder. Uh, I mean, the guy from Atlanta I mentioned, though, Ozzy Albies was somebody I mentioned earlier. He said I hadn't talked about him. So, um, right. Last two players for you to get, 10 and 11, you haven't mentioned either one of them, I don't think. Although one of them we have mentioned on the show so far. Yeah. Well, have we talked? I mean, is one of them a pitcher? No. Oh, they're both hitters. Wow. They're both infielders. Uh Man, I am drawing a blank, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, one of them is a Cleveland Indian. Okay. Uh, well, I guess that would be Lindor. There you go. That's number 10. I'm actually shocked that Lindor's not higher. That guy had a crazy year last year. But, uh, he did. You know, I guess it, some, with some players, it's a prove it prove me to prove it to me that it was not a flash because when a guy, especially when a guy who was kind of known for his speed increases his power input that much, I, I think people get skeptical. So, all right, last pick for you before you can head on down to Colorado Springs, like this player we have mentioned on the show, but I don't think you've mentioned him as a pick yet. Infielder. Yeah, boy. American league or national league. Tell me that. National League. Let's say this is probably his last year in a first round. Oh, uh uh-huh. I don't know, bud. 
can't can't oh. give you a name. I'm blank. Oh, old Goldie, I think it's his last year as a first round pick. Oh, old old Yep, yep, sure. So, well, you did Boy, very who well. Knows? He'll have a him. he'll have a renaissance probably. What's that? Thank you. Um, yeah, I think Goldschmidt's going to have a little renaissance, though. You know, freaking St. Louis, sure. if, if there's one team out there that's very good at identifying right. somebody that can help their organization, uh, that's that's a team that has had a ton of a success doing that. You you know, that's a great conversation for a show one day, is to talk about successful franchises. And, you know, people that can identify talent. That is such a rare uh, attribute, you know, for people nowadays. It's just, it's really difficult to to evaluate talent. You know, you look in the NFL, yeah. how often do they hit on draft top draft picks? You know, I don't even think it's 50% of the time. <laughs> one out of five. For for a true top-level yeah. talent, one out of five. But yes, before you, one out of five. Before you head out. Before you head out, Nate, JP, why don't you reread the trivia question? We'll go ahead and do that now so that we can answer it while Nate's still here. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay, okay, here we go. Uh, which of the following did Hall of Fame great Hank Aaron not accomplish? Choices. One, two batting titles in his career, hit 755 career home runs, won an NL MVP award, hit 50 home runs in a season twice. So, well... I'll yeah, start, ahead. and I'm not, you know, I, I won't, yeah, I'll let us all answer before I say too much, but uh, it's funny, so you've got four choices there, you know, I think pretty much anybody that watches sports knows that Hank Aaron hit 755 home runs, so, I, you know, I think that's that's taken off the list pretty easily. Um, I also think, knowing as good as he was, he had to have won an MVP. Award. So okay. that one is, is another one I take off the list. And then the last two, it really comes down to those two for me. And I'm pretty sure I know which one it is. Um, it just make it, it. It's not probably what you would think. So uh, I, I, I'll refrain from giving my guess until Mark, I guess, explains himself. Okay. Um, so. I, I like your reasoning on that. Uh, that that everyone knows he hit 755. That was the record until McGuire broke or until Bonds broke it for a career. The uh, MVP thing. I'm sure he got an MVP at some point. The guy was too good for too long. So I agree with you on those two. So it does come down to the final two options. The batting average one. Actually, if if it was a different fourth option. I, I I probably would have gone with a batting average one because I don't think he I didn't think he was that good of an average hitter, but I'm almost certain even though ironically he hit the most home runs of all time for you know for a good 30 year stretch and broke the record of Ruth, I, I'm almost positive he never hit 50 home runs. I think the most he ever hit was 49 in a single season. So my my answer would be that he never hit 50 home runs twice in a season. But I'm absolutely uh, I'm very impressed that he would have won two batting titles. So I, I, JP will have to tell us, because I'm not positive about, pretty sure that Hank Aaron was a career 300 hitter or real close. Um 
so that's not something a lot of people think of when they think of 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 Hank. You know, it's you know he was this home run legend and you know fifty home runs. Oh, he had to have done that a bunch. And you know, well, I can tell you, I don't think he ever did it one time. Not not only did he not do it twice, he didn't do it once. So I think he hit in the forties a number of times. You know, probably twelve times. But uh, yeah, I don't think I'm... he ever hit fifty. So. I know he hit like 310 or 315 or something one year, so I think he had to have won the batting battle that year. And I don't know what what his what his career average is, but I think it's real close to 300, and that's better than people think. And you know what, Nate? When you you talk about how you know the stats about how many home runs he's hit, it, it, there is that the, the subsect of people around our age and probably 10 years older and maybe five years younger where we were around when the internet first became like useful to do it at a higher speed or, or to actually look at things, but media was still a little too large. And so I'm sure you're like me spent a lot of time on like baseballreference.com and things like that, just looking at players and looking at their stats. And I just, I feel like I've yeah. got a mental picture from back then and that Hank Aaron hit 49 home runs once and I think 47 once and I don't think he ever hit more than I think those were his two top seasons in history so mm-hmm. JP do you want to uh, how how was how our uh, how was our guessing well I'll tell you what guys you are really good in deciphering the question here because you're right it is the hit 50 home runs in a season twice um, Hank topped out in 1971 at 47 home runs that's the most he's ever hit he did wow. hit 40 plus home runs in eight. He did it eight times. 40 plus home runs eight times. Wow. <laughs> hard to hard to be unhappy with those numbers. Yeah, he's an incredible player, man. I mean, he might be the best player of all time. You know, with those numbers, I mean, he's he's just incredible, and what a great person. You know, just a you know, mm-hmm. just kind of. Uh, everything I read, I've never met a guy, um, you know, I've never been around him or anything like that, but everything you read about him is that he just kind of has a presence when he steps into the room, he's kind of the center of attention. And I don't think he's like this gregarious outgoing personality, but I think he just has a presence about him. So Absolutely. pretty cool dude. Yeah. from what I understand. Yeah. Great question. That was fun. I liked, uh, I like to strolling Good down memory lane so we can remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nate, uh, good luck to you. It's uh, 40 after, Thanks. so I know you got to keep moving. But, uh, you yep. know, take some video shots from down there. We'll post those online for our, for our listeners and viewers. And good luck, man. Grab that Jordan. Uh, hopefully he'll be sitting yeah, in the telephone good back. And he's got a, a numb school at the flea mart. Awesome. Well, I'll I'll uh, definitely bring some packs with me on Saturday next week, Mark, and uh, you and I can make a little video, get it up on the site. Sounds good. All right, guys, uh, enjoy, and uh, I will give you an update. Maybe I'll try to call in right at the end of the show if I'm there and just give you a quick update. Well, if you get cool. bored in your drive down, you can also call in then. So, <laughs> cool. But, uh, Sounds good. Good luck. Good luck to you down there. So, JP, we can go ahead and jump around a little bit. Um, We'll do a a little fantasy later on in the show. I'd like to go through the top, uh, the ESPN's top 10 first baseman. It's a a thin Mm -hmm. position, thinner than most years, because it used to be a position you could kind of punt and and still do well. That's not really the case anymore. 
that in my opinion, but my opinion doesn't doesn't mean much. So uh, I was going to say we could jump over to to the NFL real quick. Uh, some interesting stuff going on. And of course, the big hubbub around here, the local talk <laughs> is not what the Broncos have done. So why don't you kind of detail for everybody what, what the Broncos are going to do? I should say. Well, let's just say this. Um, L.A. pulled the trigger, brought in Joe Flacco from Baltimore for a fourth-round pick. So to break this down, you kind of really look at it really one way. Joe Flacco and Case Keenum, the quarterback that's here now, well, both here now, um, have almost right. identical stats over the last six years. I mean, completely, they're almost exactly identical. So what L.A. did is he basically brought in another Case Keenum. Um, and the, a lot of people say Flacco's on the downside of his career, even though he did win a, a Super Bowl in, what, 2012, I believe it was, and he did win the MVP of that Super Bowl. But you're looking at the players, and it kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit of, well, L.A., you're just swapping out one mediocre quarterback for another mediocre quarterback. So that's where a lot of the Denver public and uh, the, all the media, the Facebookers, They've all kind of pointed that out. Um, what are your thoughts on it? You know, I mean, our local radio station here has been talking about how they're uh, wacko for Flacco and uh, trying to hype it up and trying to be the uh, the cheerleader for the Broncos. And and look, Case Keenum was not the answer. We, we they gave it a shot. They gave him starter money. They gave him a starter's position. And I'm not gonna rip on him a lot because you know. He lost his number one receiver in a trade, lost his number two receiver to an injury. The offensive line was in tatters. Uh, I mean, despite the fact that it wasn't that good to begin with, the only two good players they have, which are center and right guard, those guys combined played, I think, 12 games last year. So, you know, there was not much in Case's favor. But what you and I saw was a guy who was turning the ball over in the red zone constantly. Mm -hmm. And that's... That's yes. a killer. Now, what Case Keenum did not do last year was turn the ball over. Didn't throw picks. Didn't have fumbles. Had a had a decent – I mean, they didn't have a great line in Minnesota, but with the receivers they had and with the running game they had, even after Delvin Cook went down, they had so much talent. You just – you couldn't flood the quarterback. And, you know, when you talk about the Broncos' woes on offense, they have – the same issue with a bad line, uh, but they do have two good young receivers and there's rumors, although I'm not sure I believe that they're even plausible. There's a lot of rumors flying around about Antonio Brown and bringing him mm-hmm. in to be the number one. And then you've got Sutton who should be able to bust out as number, uh, number two. And then um, uh, I can't remember, I'm jumping out of my head for some reason. Um, there's Hamilton, Penn State or- Hamilton. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know that would give, that would give you a nice three. Uh, you know, obviously Antonio Brown's an amazing player, and then you got two very talented, different type of receivers uh, at two and three. And if if a Hireman can come back and be a good uh, tight end, or Butt can 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 really make it happen, uh, you know, maybe they get the weapons needed for a guy to pass to. But you know, I I, I was looking at some stats last night with Flacco and I've never been a Flacco champion. I thought it was a joke when they won the Super Bowl. I thought that just, you know, just, just, it was all luck that Raheem Moore happened to miss that pass and that, and then that propelled them on. They, they just kind of played miraculously. You had the brothers facing each other in the Super Bowl, which I'm sure caused things to be a little different. Uh, You had John for some reason had Frank Gore. I think it was Frank Gore back then 
uh, maybe it was Carlos Hyde, but I think it was still Frank Gore, but they were just running the ball down the Ravens' throat, and all of a sudden they get down into the end zone area to try and win the game, and they stop running the ball. And so they don't, you know, they don't end up scoring and they don't, they don't win the game. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of weird things going on that year in how they made the Super Bowl. It was probably Flacco's best seven game stretch of his career. It earned him his large contract and he really hasn't been great since. And he wasn't great before that. So I think you're right that he's basically case Keenum, but he was able to start all that time. Uh, I would right. give it a, I, I, the only thing I was going to, I was going to ask you basically a twofold question. So okay. do you think a, that this means the Broncos decided they just have to take a cornerback in that first pick. And if they can't take a quarterback because they're taking a cornerback, they knew they had to do something because case is just not the answer. The second part of my question to you. So the first part is, do you think that's why they did this? Because they decided we have to put the quarterback situation to rest for a year or at least an option for the next year. So we can get that cornerback as I don't know if you read the article uh, in ESPN, but there was a great interview with Chris Harris and Chris Harris, who has been the Broncos stud for a number of years at cornerback draft. Uh, I don't even know if he was, I mean, he might've been an undrafted uh, free agent that first year, but anyway, he's, he blossomed into an amazing, not only can he be a man on man cover corner, he can also be a slot cover corner, which very few people have both of those talents. And he talked about when they had the no-fly zone with Tlaib on the outside, Roby on the other side, allowing Chris Harris to dominate the middle. That's why no quarterbacks could could pass well against the Broncos. And his statements were that the last couple of years, the Broncos haven't changed. They've gotten stale. They've just done what they did before, and there was no new wrinkles or anything to make anything happen. And he thinks this year that they're going to try and change that with a new coach, the new defensive coordinator that they're going to really try and update their team to be a a team for 2019. And by taking a cornerback gives them the option to have that secondary. Now, the second part of my question for you about after the cornerback is who do you think the Broncos do identify at quarterback? Because they're going to have to take a QB. They have to get some kind of a plan for the future, and I thought possibly the Duke quarterback in round three, that would be pick, I guess, number 70 or so, or maybe 80. So just curious about your thoughts on both those things. Oh, sure. No problem, Mark. Um, you know, you hit a lot of good points there, and, and it's a good question. Uh, the Broncos, I, I do believe, have become very um, stagnant and stale on defense, uh, doing what they've done for years, and I think bringing in the new coach this year, that they will change that up. And plus, when you lose a, a Tlaib and all, and all that, you know, you have to really replenish um, the value of the defensive backs because we've seen them go downhill a little bit. They still played great defense last year, and not a lot of people gave them enough credit for being in a lot of those games where they lost at the end, but they were. So I think we're going to see some very new defensive uh, schemes come out with a new coaching staff here um, and so on and so forth. And you know what? I think with Flacco, it was a really knee-jerk reaction from Elway because he obviously needed to do something. The only thing that I want to point out there is in about uh, probably two to three weeks, Nick Foles is going to come on the market at age, I think he's age 29 right now. Um, 
And you could have got Nick Foles for the same amount of money or draft picks or so on and so forth because that's what the Eagles are going to be looking for, a third or fourth rounder. And uh, Foles was right. Or, I mean, Foles paid back the – he paid back uh, – um, what is it, $2.5 million of the bonus that he got. Uh, so they can uh, unrestrict him and put him out on the market. So do right, I think right. Flacco was a really good knee-jerk move for L.A.? I'm not sure. Uh, Flacco does have a history of coming in the mile high and playing actually well. That's one of the points that I've seen bounced around social media a bunch here over the last couple of days. So, But I yeah, think it was a little soon. He has had good games. Uh, in Colorado, including that game that took him to the Super Bowl. So I'm sure exactly. that that factors into things. Maybe, hey, you give him a little bit of help on his loft ball uh, because of the thinner air. And the one thing the Broncos have not had for a few years is much of a deep threat game. So maybe that right. was the idea. But there's also the uh, contention that Elway loves tall quarterbacks, and that's why he went to Flacco. <laughs> well, and, and Flacco is very tall. I mean, what is he, six foot five? I believe, off the top of my head? Yeah. Six, yeah, six six. So yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm gonna I want to throw this one out here to you because I'm not sure if you've actually heard this news. Uh, Demarius was released by the Texans earlier this week. Did I felt so bad for him? I mean, an Achilles injury that late in your career, you know, coming back from that when you already on a steep decline, I don't see a whole lot of hope for that, especially because I, I know. He, he won't be back for this season. And I don't know how old he's going to be, but, man, I remember when he was drafted, and I wasn't that old when he was drafted. So he's got to be getting – he's got to be like 34, maybe? 30 – maybe he's just – maybe he's only 32. I don't know. I'm trying to think of how old – because I think Von Miller's 28, and we took Von Miller in 2012, right, with, with Cam Newton the same year. I think it was 2012. And so – Demarius was Josh McDaniel, which would have been three years before. Thirty-one years. Oh, he's only thirty-one, so he's not that old. Well, maybe he could come back and play for a a crafty veteran role for a franchise. You know, a Seattle, a, a San Francisco, maybe. San Francisco let go of Pierre Garcon, uh, so mm-hmm. they did. You know, next year they could be looking for a crafty veteran uh, when when Garoppolo is 100% recovered from his injury. Um, who, who knows? I, I do feel bad for Demarius because I feel like he kind of got – he just kind of got some bad luck. You know, his mom getting out of prison kind of really messed with his mind that year and then uh, mm-hmm. just some bad injuries and some real bad quarterbacks. Demarius is not the kind of player that seems to be a self-motivating player. And I think that was a problem that, that reared its head, that he just – when he w- didn't have a good quarterback, they didn't have a good line, they weren't scoring a lot of points, I think he just got bored. And, you know, that's not – if you're not – if you don't love playing for the, for the sake of playing, then I, I think that happens to you, that you only want to play if, – if you, you only want to really play if you're winning. Uh, not that he didn't play. He just – I don't think he put in the 100% effort all the time. And uh, – you know, speaking of Bronco receivers, uh, I think Emmanuel Sanders is looking at a, a, a good possibility of being le- of being released, especially if they pick up uh, some veteran in free agency or in the draft. Uh, well, you're not going to get a veteran in the draft, but you know, if they get if they pick up a receiver, I think that he's going to be gone too because he's going to cost so much money. Um, I, you know, I, I, but I feel bad because Sanders does seem like a player 
who has put his all into it every game. Even when the Broncos had bad years, that guy was pulling in, you know, 75 to 80 catches and a thousand yards. So I, I feel kind of bad about that. I just hope he retires, but, uh, you know, you know how football players are. They don't like to retire until the game tells them they can't play anymore. Yeah, you hit that one right on the head, actually. Um, yeah, they do not like to retire until their bodies and the game says they can't play anymore. So, you know, I want to give you a little update here, too. I saw this come across the ticker this morning. Um, Antonio Brown is going to be meeting with Steelers ownership today. Um, they're going to sit them down and uh, talk to them about, you know, what happened, what was going on. And, and I, I think this is the big kind of mystery in the NFL right now is what in the world happened to one of the most on top strong franchises of ownership and coaching and so on and so forth that your Le'Veon Bell sits the whole year out and now AB wants to be traded. So what happened there is, I don't mean to segue into it real quick, but something's going on that we don't hear anything about. And I'd love to know what it is. Yeah, that's a mystery that, I have a feeling will come out maybe a couple of years after the whole thing dies down, but Roethlisberger talking about retiring. And then now he doesn't seem like he has any interest in retiring. You know, he he came back and played last year. Now he looks like he wants to play a few more years, but he was about ready to quit. Uh, You know, Bell doesn't show up to camp and then just doesn't show up to play at all and sacrifices I don't know. Was it thirteen million dollars or something? Something crazy to. to I think it was more than. It was like fourteen or fifteen. I mean, my goodness, go play that season, and yeah, maybe you get hurt and you injured for your career. If you can't live off the seven million dollars after taxes, then then what are you doing, man? So, uh, (laughs) you know, and that's that's if you got a career-ending injury, that was the worst that could happen. I mean, and if the injury happened late in the season, they might be forced to pay you for another year. So, you know, I I I didn't understand. I didn't understand that whole thing at all, but I, and then Antonio Brown, I mean, that was a meltdown. I mean, I'm sure there could have been some frustration, but they were in it and they, they could have gone to the, to the playoffs if they had won. And I, I don't know if it was just them winning or them winning and the Ravens losing, but for some reason, I think I remember that the Ravens needed to win and had to have Pittsburgh lose to get that playoff spot. And Antonio mm-hmm. didn't play in that. And they made up an injury yeah. for him. That wasn't true turned out that he just wasn't going to play. And so, I mean, I just don't know if, is Antonio's a result of Bell? Like, did he, was he so angry about how they handled the Bell situation that he's like, oh, you guys don't want to win. And then he had a hissy fit and didn't want to play, which seems odd considering how well James Conner played. And they didn't need Bell, really. I mean, it would have been nice to have him, but they didn't need him. So, yeah, dude, what happened there? Did Tomlin piss people off? Now, you tell me, Isn't aren't the Roonies known as a team that you like to play for or ownership that you like to play for? Well, they're known as one of the best owners in all of sports, um, the Rooney family. And uh, that's, that's the thing because, you know, you know, when people hear Philly and Pittsburgh, you know, they think we're rivals. We're really not. I mean, we play each other in the preseason, and then every seven years as the schedule rotates in the NFL, we're really not rivals. I mean, they're five hours on the other side of the state. You know, in hockey, we're rivals because we're in the same division. So, sure. you know, it's funny because there's a lot of people that don't actually know that. Like, I don't dislike the Pittsburgh Steelers at all. I actually root for them. I, I think it's a great franchise. And the same thing goes for, you know, that side of the state with the Eagles. They, they love to see the Eagles do good. So we're not rivals or anything. But the Rooney family has always had this aura of, 
I mean, they've only had three coaches in the last since 1961. They've had three total coaches, so it's right. it's somewhere you want you want to go. And players sought out going there, and they have. I mean, Antonio Brown ha- had the meltdown on the sideline that we saw. He threw the water jug and had a, had his tantrum and so on and so forth. And I think Antonio was a little disillusioned or disliked the way they handled Bell. Um, but in the same instance, you know, you're looking at Le'Veon, I know you want to get paid, so on and so forth, but the, the running back position is a position where you only have a certain lifespan. And as ownership, when you look at it, Connor came in and did fine. He declined at the end of the season because that's what a lot of rookie running backs, not rookie running backs, but he was, he's just now two years out of college, three years now. But, you know, those running backs, because they only play 13 games in college, if you even go to a bowl game, you're going to have a decline in the last couple of weeks because your body's not used to the wear and tear of an NFL season because Le'Veon played the year before that when Connor was a rookie, and he spelled Le'Veon in, in time, so he's never the, the bell cow. Now, at the University of Pittsburgh, he was the bell cow. And remember, this is a kid that fought cancer and won. So he already has health problems as it is. And he needs to be extra careful, and I'm sure the training staff took all that into account when they put them in him, him in that position to play all of last year. And so moving forward, because we haven't we haven't even heard anything about Le'Veon Bell right now. I mean that 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 front has been very very quiet uh, because the AB right now getting all the attention. So it's going to be interesting going forward because you're right, they were right there ready to make the playoff. Brown sits out. They, they don't win, they don't go to the playoffs. And they just miss the playoffs all completely. After putting on potentially what looked like, I mean, obviously they tie, what is it? They tied Cleveland opening day, was if, if I remember right. But uh, putting on a, a display of, of, of what that team was capable of without Le'Veon Bell this year. And they played very well, and then they played very poorly at some point. Yeah, I, it it's just, and the thing with Le'Veon, I mean, the rumor that we have heard for a lot of this offseason and the end of the season uh, was that he will be going to the Jets, which I, I could see that happening. Although, yeah. it seems like they're a couple of years away from being good. And I, it's a little surprising that Le'Veon would want to do that. It almost makes you wonder if Le'Veon is such a, uh, I don't know, a diva or a, a prima donna or, or what term you would use that he doesn't even care if he wins or if his team has a good chance to be a, a, a Super Bowl contender, but just that he gets to be the focal point of the team. And maybe he's thinking, if I do this in New York, I have a brand I can sell and make a lot more money on endorsements. So I, I don't know if that's his thought process, but I have heard Jets. I haven't heard of. I haven't even heard any other team being mentioned. Have you heard some other teams that that are possible like landing spots for him? No, I've, I've pretty much heard the Jets, and that's about the only rumor mill I've heard is the Jets. Um, if he wants to go to New York, uh, the Jets, until Tom Brady retires, the Jets aren't going to the playoffs. <laughs> I can already tell you that. So <clears throat> it's him wanting his money because they will pay him in New York. They have the salary cap to do it. They have, the, they have enough cap room to pay him what he wants. And he's in that huge market. Um, you know, we get so – I know you just up in uh, – for business up, up in the New York area, but, you know, when we look at Denver, we look at the city, and then all of a sudden you go up to the Big Apple, and it's just like, holy Jesus, this place is huge. 
And he wants that notoriety. I don't think he cares one bit about winning. He wants the money, and he wants to build his brand. I mean, you talk about um... – how you know how big a city is, and and I totally agree with you. Like I, I growing up, you know, uh, my family spent a lot of time uh, in San Francisco, and you know, I thought that was a big city, and it's it's really a tiny one. I mean, you fly into New York, and you're seeing skyscrapers for miles, and when you yeah. fly into San Francisco, <laughs> skyscrapers make up like you know a one block of the whole city. Uh, where they actually have these large buildings. Now, of course, when you're down on the ground, it, it seems a lot bigger and a lot wider than, of course, when you're looking at it from a aerial view. But it just goes to show you how much smaller a city really is in terms of population. And kind of a funny story uh, is, you know, I was I'm, I'm writing a book with with a friend of mine that, you know, it's kind of his he's kind of got the uh, the story idea, but he's not really much of a flair for writing. And so we were kind of working in conjunction on the story. And one thing that we had a disagreement over that I, I, I'm still not sure I ever really convinced him, but I, I tried to help him envision it by talking about that, which was uh, he wanted it to be kind of this massive, um, you know, foreign world, sci-fi kind of world and mm-hmm. have massive populations, which I totally understand that part overall because it is a cool thing. But what was funny about it was that he wanted the one city that was kind of the um, the most popular city or most populous city, the biggest city to have one school for the whole city. And it was supposed to be um, about uh, 8 million students. And I said to him at the time, I said, you know, this isn't really practical. We, you can't really have an 8 million person school. And he goes, Oh, it's, right. it goes underground and above ground. It's a big school. And I went, yeah, but no dude, 8 million people. You, you, you couldn't do that. It just wouldn't work. And again, he was like, no, no, it's made for that. It's a huge campus. I was like, again, man, no way you're fitting 8 million people. And he still couldn't quite grasp what I was trying to tell him. And so then I finally said, think about New York. That's the biggest city in our country. It's one of the biggest cities in the world in terms of people. And I was like, they have 8 million people there, and you can't go two inches without bumping into people. And that's in an entire island that's pretty large. I mean, Manhattan, you know, is a big area. And I don't know if the 8 million is just in Manhattan or the man, if that's in the, all the all the five boroughs, but even it's the so. Boroughs. Okay, so it's in the five different boroughs. So it's like we have Staten Island, Brooklyn, um is it Lo- uh wait, Long Island. Island, Long Island, Brooklyn, Bronx and Manhattan, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, so then I tried to but but kind of picture that. I was like, that's 8 million people there. That, that was back then. I don't even know. They may have more people than that now. But I was like, that's 8 million people spread around an entire city, and it's densely packed. I was like, so now imagine getting all those people onto one school campus every day for school and how impossible that would be. And uh, like I said, I'm not sure if I ever completely convinced him, but that's how I tried to do it was – I've been in New York only to the airport, okay? And in the airport, you could tell how crowded it was. It's just <laughs> you can't have that many people in one spot. I also right. wanted to touch real quick on what you talked about with uh, Philly and Pittsburgh you know, being in different divisions. How fun would it have been? I mean, I, I get why it's a good idea. They're, they're not that far of it. How far a drive is it? You, you know, is it three hours? Uh, uh, no, it's five. Okay, so it's it's a drive. but. I can see while Pennsylvania probably was like, 
you know what, let's have one in the AL and one in the NL, and that gives us access to all the teams coming into the state. I, I don't yeah. think either one of the franchises is that young, so maybe that was all decided long before schedules and everything were done or before the merger, but I, that, I could see that being a thought process, at least now. But how cool would it have been if they were in your division? You could have interstate rivalry. You could have played each other twice every year. And, I mean, a five-hour drive, no problem. People are traveling for that game. You'd have had some pretty oh, raucous rivalry games. Well, the, the best thing, too, is right down 30th Street Station in, um, in uh, downtown Philly, you could hop the train and go right to Pittsburgh. At downtown Pittsburgh. There you go. Because I actually, I, when I took the train back to Colorado the one time, the stop, there's a layover in Pittsburgh for about three hours. I walked over to Promonte Brothers over there and get, got a sandwich. So I didn't want to sit in the train station. But, yeah, it's an it's a, it's a easy, it's a nice train ride. You, you follow kind of a couple of the rivers. You go through the rolling hills. So there's, there's a lot of advantages because they are connected. I mean, we have highways that do connect both cities. We have a train system that connects both cities. Amtrak runs a line on that line. I think it's twice a day or three times a day. I'm not even sure anymore. But I know that they run that line all the time. Well, the great thing is you could go to the Pittsburgh game, you could get absolutely hammered, and you'd have a five-hour trip back on the train, or maybe maybe it's a little faster on the train, but uh, give you plenty of time to sober up so you could drive home from the train station. So, you know, or I guess you really could. <laughs> but that'd be a nice little, uh, that'd be a nice little setup. Um, yeah. You know, one thing that, that happened to me this weekend that's just a total bummer. So hopefully everybody out there listening has got a President's Day weekend. You're going to have the holiday, going to have Monday off, you know, have a nice long weekend. A lot of my coworkers took either uh, Friday or Tuesday off. But anyway, long story short, my company is going through kind of a merger change. And uh, a person that's coming out to visit the office uh, for Tuesday for a kind of a big meeting, um, they've decided they want to um, – the person that's coming in from our side to kind of meet is going to get here Monday afternoon and they decided they want to have dinner with everybody. And so now instead of having my three day weekend, which I've been looking forward to all the way since, well, I mean, guess since new year's. Um, and it's like, now I don't even get to like enjoy that day off because I have to be sharp <laughs> on for a dinner and like a strategy meeting and everything. And it's like, uh, you know, so, um, oh, that blows. Yeah, so that's not uh, not what I was hoping for. But uh, anyway, hopefully everybody out there uh, does have a nice uh, three-day weekend coming. So the next thing we can talk about here is Kareem Hunt signed with the Browns. This kind of shocked me, not so much for the because of the domestic dispute thing, the violence thing. You always know someone who's got a lot of talent and young, they're going to probably get another shot but it was the Browns. Does that right? Does that make any sense to you? Um, this one did not make any sense to me. The Browns kind of seem like they have the running back position locked up because they got rid of Carlos Hyde to Jacksonville, who fell off the face of the earth after they did that move. Um, it seems like they're, I mean, because you have Chubb back there, and then you still have, what is it, Duke Johnson back there. So yeah, I mean, you, you kind of Johnson- seem you like you're overflowing with talent at the running back position. Yeah, I mean, Duke Johnson's a great receiving back, and Bell yep. is a fantastic uh, – or not Bell, excuse me, uh, uh, 
Chubb is another is a great is a looks like a looks like a great talent, like great talent, maybe a superstar talent. And mm-hmm. yeah, bringing in Hunt isn't Hunt going to want to be the starter? Well, you would think. Now he's still on the um, commissioner's exemption list, so right now he's going to have to sit games, and then they figure out what's really going to happen to him. I think. I think in the Browns' head, what they did is they, they're going to let it play out. They're not going to put them on the field. And I think what they'll do is they'll daggle someone out there as trade bait for another team to bring in maybe another wide receiver or something along the lines is what I think they're doing because he's not going to be able to see the field until he gets off the exemption list. And when is that happen? Or is that is that is there no set it's, timetable? I don't think there's a set timetable for him right now because they're still looking at all the evidence. Um, the NFL will let you play um, until they do figure out the evidence, but he's writing the exemption list right now. So we'll see what happens with this. This is a story you're going to want to keep your eyes on kind of midseason because I think they might pull the trigger to move one of those running backs. And unfortunately, if they're going to move one, Duke Johnson might be the guy they move. Yeah, I mean, I've heard rumors of possibly a um, uh, Duke Johnson going to Dallas, uh, mm-hmm. giving them a, a spell back for for Ezekiel. Uh, maybe Cleveland's thinking that they've got a good offense and they did much better last year than the year before, and that they don't want to run Chubb into the ground. And this way, they could have a two-headed back at running back, and then have a third guy who can do great passing down stuff, or even jump mm-hmm. into the slot. Uh, on certain plays. So having extra playmakers is never really a bad thing. I don't doubt on that part, but for a team that's on its way up uh, and has a chance to really make a statement in that division, you would think they would want to focus on the positions that they still have a, a, a big need for. And, you know, I mean, cause don't they have a good shot? I mean, they've got, they, they've, that Pittsburgh is, is losing their two biggest studs and Roethlisberger's getting old. Uh, who else is in that division? Baltimore. Granted, they made the playoffs last year, but they, they look like they're kind of headed towards a rebuild with the new, with, you know, uh, with uh, Jackson more than a buoyancy, but we'll see what happens. Like I said, they did make the playoffs. Uh, the Bengals are, you know, Bengals are the bungles. They just, they don't ever seem to, to, Get it yeah, they, they've got they've got a lot of problems. They've got front office problems. They've got attendance problems. They've got problems all over the board. At least they finally got rid of Marvin Lewis. I love the guy. I think he's. A, I think you. I think he could come back as a great coordinator again, uh, as opposed to being a head coach. And he didn't do a terrible job. <clears throat> His teams were always good. They were never elite, or they never had a chance to to really threaten people in the playoffs. They always ran out of steam before they got there. And, yeah. you know, they kind of remind you of kind of like how the Browns were that remember that year, the Browns had Derek Anderson, they had Jamal Anderson, they had Braylon Edwards. They had, uh, who was that tight end? Uh, um, the, the guy who said they were soldiers. Um, oh, Kellen Winslow, you know, oh, they all Winslow, the yep. out there. They missed the playoffs by one game, and next year was a complete meltdown. So, yeah. no, that was two, was that 2010? Yeah, maybe. I all I know is I took it's I took two out of four guys in my fantasy draft that year, and boy, that was a disaster. Braylon Edwards, man, that guy just 
that one good year teased you, and he was never good again. Kind of like Flacco. But, uh, hey, he wacko Flacco. You know, we never actually answered – you never answered that one question. Do you think the Broncos still target a quarterback in the draft? Um. Oh, I'm see. Yeah, you're right. I didn't answer that part of the question. There's one quarterback out there that I, I like. Your, your, you're thinking of the Duke kid. Um, not a bad choice. Uh, there's another quarterback out there. Chris Locke from Missouri is another guy I could see them going after if he's there and available. Um, other than that, I would steer clear of this draft with the quarterbacks and wait till next year. You know, that's not a, a terrible idea. You know, they got Flacco for two years, if, and especially if he will um, if he will reverse, uh, you know, I, I, if he'll, you know, like work out a, a, what do they call that? A restructuring, right? Right. Uh, save the Broncos some money, maybe put it in a cap hit as opposed to a, a, a money uh, per year kind of thing. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how that'll work, but I just... My concern is if they don't take a quarterback this year and they wait till next year, then you're really counting on Flacco good enough to start two seasons for you. And this guy lost out in Baltimore to a quarterback that has a lot of potential. But last season, during that run uh, that he took over for Flacco and took him to the playoffs, he didn't pass very much. Lamar, no, basically, they were basically, I mean, I think there was a couple of games where they only had like five passes. It was like a Tebow game where it was all running mm-hmm. plays, you know? Yeah, so, it was all read option. It was, either, it, was, it was either Jackson taking the ball or Jackson handing the ball off. At one game, I think they had five passes only in the whole game. Right. That's how much they ran. And, so. and you know what? I, it, it, it can work because we saw it with Kaepernick. We've seen it with uh, other running quarterbacks where – when you like or RG three, you run that kind of option, a triple option, a whatever option. I know there were there were different schemes that were run on on most of those quarterback plays, but it, it does work for a little bit. You can run these option plays, and it's hard for a defense because you got to cover three guys, and you got to come up with a scheme to do that particular type of option because you know two teams running options with their quarterback, they're not running the same option plays. They're different styles of plays. Different pullers are playing on the line different seal off, you know, routes for the receivers and the running backs to open up lanes. They, they're very different and you can't, it's not a one size fits all solution to stopping those teams. But once you give an offensive or defensive coordinator in that league, a year of off season film to watch and develop a plan, especially if they play in the same division as one of these teams, you usually see that it doesn't work any longer for the quarterbacks to do that. And it has to be transition at that point to a real pocket quarterback, like a Russell Wilson to be successful. You can't keep mm-hmm. doing the running because you'll just end up getting hit a bunch and getting hurt and things like that. Baltimore was like, we're close to making the playoffs. We're in this three-way race with these other teams. We just need to win down the stretch. And I think it's possible that Harbaugh said, you know what, let's run our own triple option with this guy who's got some serious wheels and it's only for like six games. We won't even pass much. We'll just run that option. We're likely to score a few touchdowns because it'll be hard for teams to stop initially. And we have a defense that can hold other teams to a low score. And I think it worked. So I think that's why they did that. But you can't. Yeah, no, help. I agree with you on that. 
but then I guess it brings the question is, did they did they bench Flacco because he got hurt and then decided to just try something new? Or have they been looking to get rid of Flacco, get away from Flacco for a while? What's your instinct tell you? My instinct says a combination of both. I think they want it because they, they paid Flacco all that money and then he didn't produce at all. Um, they were mediocre at best. Uh, putting Flacco down and giving Lamar, because you, you, you got Lamar with the last pick of the first round of the draft this, this past year, and there was an opportunity going, if we win a couple games here, we could back into the playoffs. And Lamar brought a, a, a nice, um, different pace to the game where the team responded to it and played very, very well. And you got to remember, midseason that defense went downhill a little bit, I think they got a little dinged up, and then they came back at the end and played like the defense that started off the year. So they had a six-game stretch at the end where they looked at it going, we really can sneak into the playoffs here if we play our cards right. And I think what you saw was ball management with the running game and relying on that defense in the end, and they did sneak into the playoffs. And then they lost to the Colts, is that right? Uh, yeah, they got the, what was it, twenty to seven or something like that, twenty one to seven, or twenty four to seven. They they got destroyed by the Colts. It didn't. That, the game didn't even look good. They had that fifty yard pass to to like Ty to start the game and then just kind of rolled from yeah. there. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I uh, you know I just I guess I'm just not sure what the thought process really was from the Broncos, and that's why I was asking you about if they had just decided, look, we have to get a cornerback to help our secondary and go from there. But then that, that still, whether they get a cornerback or not, and also whether they draft a quarterback or not, or they just go with Flacco, that still begs the other question that's still just dangling out there, which is at what point do they address the offensive line? They, they, (laughs) they're not doing it. They have, they keep just trying to bandage it. And I just, I feel like I don't. I mean, I, I I'm very happy with the Chubb pick last year. I think he's a great player. He looks like he's a stud. Loved watching him last year. I don't have a problem with that pick at all. But you look at Quentin Richardson that was taken by the Colts. You look at how the Colts had disastrous teams and luck getting hurt for those two whole years. They bring in Quentin Richardson and the dude transformed that line. I mean, mm-hmm. he could take on two players, it seemed like. Just him could could stop two guys from getting past him. And a lot all year long, especially in the second half of the season. So, I don't know. And I, I the, Bron- the one time the Broncos did take an offensive lineman was Bowles, and, and he's a disaster. But everybody kind of told them, told them that he was going to be a disaster. But, you know, the Broncos – the last two times they've had a top five pick or a top six pick, they've taken defensive pass rushers. And Von Miller has been amazing. He won him a Super Bowl. Chubb has been great so far. But you kind of wonder, you know, you look at the Cowboys, you look at some other teams, have two picks in the top six or seven, two years in a row, take two, two dominating linemen, and boom, you've got a, a strong a strong core. And – we saw it in Dallas, you know, the great line there. Now we've seen the Colts significantly upgrade. I guess, you know, from the Eagles, I'm not really sure where the Eagles got their players from, but I hear some people saying the Eagles may have the best offensive line in football now. 
where how did they build that line? Do you know where all the players came well, from? I'll tell you what they did a lot did it a lot through free agency because the Eagles uh, ten fifteen years ago were notorious for taking first round uh, offensive linemen that were complete busts. So they built it a kind of a not with the draft because they, I mean there's a couple of picks that you look at and gone I don't even know who that guy is anymore because he, he might have played a year. I mean, right. they were just known for 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 drafting terrible, terrible first-round picks at, at linemen. And I think the Broncos are kind of falling into that same line where, you know, we talked to, you talked earlier about evaluating talent. And the best teams, I mean, look at Belichick and the Patriots of evaluating talent, you know, getting this no-name player to play like an all-star where, you know, they just know how to do it. You know, I think the Broncos and the Eagles are kind of at the same place where they're looking at offensive linemen, and I don't think they really have – the right personnel to evaluate maybe offensive linemen. I think they have personnel to evaluate people other places coming out of college. But, you know, I mean, the bold pick, we knew that was going to be a disaster. I mean, that was, oh, you know what, good upside, injury prone. Um, His footwork isn't great, um, but he's the only other. There's two, there was two linemen that year that they could have done. And I think both linemen kind of busted anyway. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where you kind of a later kind of, round. You know, they they didn't yeah. really have a top pick. No, it was a, it was it was down the ways a little bit, but it it's one of those things where you have to look at the people evaluating the talent on the team and you have to look at your front office, got to look at the people in the war room, got to look at the people looking at the tape, the scouts that are going to these college games and what they see, the um, the type of talent they play against because you remember Bulls played at Utah Pac-12, and quite frankly, a lot of passing, not a lot of really big offensive line play, not a really big defensive line play. It's a more scoring, wide-open league, and for a team like the Broncos that wanted to pound the ball, Bulls really, and we knew this, Bulls really wasn't the choice they really wanted. They kind of got stuck taking him. Right, right. And, I, you know, I, I remember when they took him, there was a lot of consternation about that pick, that this guy had had some off-the-field issues. He was older. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, the older you are, the harder it is to be coached into a different player because tendencies set in. That just that, That's just part yeah. of life. You know, you become habitual in what you do. And, you know, I, I, well, I'd like to ask you this as well. And I this always – kind of flummoxed me with the Broncos the last two, even three years, but especially the two years under Vance. And, you know, you talked about the Patriots, right? They don't generally have great offensive or defensive line players. And a lot of times they jettison these players before they're about to get paid big money. And what happens is they go to another team and they don't play that well. And you realize it wasn't really that the that was good. It was that they knew how to design an offense to make those players well. And a big part of whenever they've had a weak offensive line in uh, in New England, they've almost always had the same philosophy passing game, which is really short dink and duck passing games. I mean, other than the year they had Stallworth, Moss, and whoever, uh, Welker, they've been a dink and dunk kind of offense. And it works really well because mm-hmm. it's a fast dink and dunk offense. And you think about how many times the Broncos went three and out. And we're just not good on offense the last two years. And yeah, they've got an iffy offensive line, but they've had good receiver talent. They had Demarius, they had Sanders. Last year, they've got Sutton and Hamilton. Uh, they had Welker. They had uh, 
well, they had some other guy there for a while that was doing okay. Um, uh, he went to the Bears. But anyway, um, you never saw that kind of play. What I mean by that kind of play is the super fast, quick action route where you've got two guys lined up on the left and one guy on the right with a tight end and you do a pick route or, or where you always have somebody doing a slant over the middle and, you know, a slant and in a flare, a flat, a curl, any of those things to just pick up two or three yards. And you know what? It works for the Patriots. You get two or three yards on the first play. You get three yards on the second play. You get three yards on the third play. Well, now you're at fourth and one, and you got a real shot. I mean, honestly, if it's a fourth and one in the NFL, you should be able to go for it and make it eight out of ten times. It's one yard. Yeah. As long as you don't, you know, I mean, look at the look at how many times the Patriots, the, the Saints, the uh, Panthers, right? Fourth and one QB sneak. They don't even have – it's not even close. They, they're like, oh, they got two yards, you know. I, why the why certain teams can't do that and certain teams always can? Sure, with Cam Newton, he's a stronger player. But Brady's not a super strong guy. Breeze is small. No. I mean, they always Breeze get their small. yard. <clears throat> so why is that? Why can those teams always get that fourth and one yard and other teams like the Broncos can struggle so much with it? Well, I, I think what it comes down to is your offensive coordinator and the way he really designs the playbook because the Broncos really don't have those plays in there or they're not focusing on them. Um, you know, it, it, if you look back at the Donovan McNabb Eagles, they Andy Reid used to run so many swing passes where Donovan would fake one way and throw the ball into the in, in a swing pattern to uh, Darren Sproles the other way. Um, they People – Andy Reid's a guru of football. I mean, you look at what they did this year. Even the Chiefs have that downfield option with Mahomes when he throws the ball because Mahomes got a gun. But they always had someone that was in the flat where they could get rid of the ball quick. And that's what, like, having a Travis Kelsey has or Jason or Kelsey had, or, you know, for them. Where the Broncos, their offensive coordinators just never seem to want to play that type of ball. And it's, it's really kind of interesting because you always want that safety. The, the good quarterbacks always have a safety net somewhere on the field where they know they could just throw the ball and get three yards instead of trying to force something down the field. Yeah, I, they just – why not get the offense moving? Why not get the ball into someone's hands? Because so long it seemed like they were waiting for routes to develop, and you're like – you know your line is not going to be able to hold it. You can't have right. these five-step drops and four-second routes. You just you got to have two guys doing quick routes. And I, I, I know it's more complicated than that. And I know the Broncos were not didn't have a perceived deep threat, and that really hurts you because now the safeties can play up. And I know that makes it harder. Even if your guy gets tackled in the flat or your guy gets the ball knocked away from him going inside, at least. Give yourself a shot. I mean, when you've got a quarterback like a Case Keesum, uh, you know, Keenum running around like a wild hyena, you know, with his, a chicken with his head cut off, that doesn't work. He, the, that not, that's not the kind of player that he is. He's not a scrambling, run-for-his-life guy. I mean, Mahomes can do that. Baker Mayfield can do that. Some guys have that gene in them. But Case doesn't have that. They haven't had that in any of their quarterbacks no. they've had. Why can't you do – I mean, the Chiefs, sure, the Chiefs do those long, deep plays and everything, but they do plenty of those short routes. 
And, you know, the Patriots do all short routes. And, you know, uh, certain teams only do long games, right? Like the Saints or the, the Seahawks, right? Those are downfield passing teams. But they also have good long play, and they've got some, some pretty accurate, you know, fantastic quarterbacks. So I just felt to me like the Broncos' game plan last year was often just hand the ball off and hope Philip Lindsay breaks one. That's not an offense. That's, that's no, no, you're right. That's not an offense. And and Lindsay did a great job, you know, being undrafted down at Denver South High School down here. Did a great job. And uh, but I think we're going to see coming up this year with a new coach. We're going to see a lot of tendencies the Broncos had in the past couple of years. And I don't want to blame this all on Vance Joseph, but a lot of the tendencies are going to get broken this year, I think. And it's going to be really interesting to kind of see um, what actually does happen because right now the the, the new head coach was, I think, around when they uh, drafted Flacco. He, he, he worked with Flacco for one year, if I remember right. Um, right. So we're going to see a lot of the tendencies change from what we're used to seeing the Broncos do the past couple of years. And like I said, I don't want to put all the blame on, on Vance Joseph because he, he deserves some of it, but he doesn't deserve all of it. Um, I think we're going to see that change here, and I think we're going to be happy with what we see because I, I think we're going to see more of that dink and dunk and more possession types where, you know, you know, Drew Brees has Alvin Kamara on a two-yard just basically stop play, and he'll break, break it for 30 because <laughs> that's how good right. he is. I think, I think we're going to see more of that from the Broncos this year. Fall into your playmaker's hands in space and see what happens. That's all I'm saying. I, I, you know, you, you can't always just try and hope it just breaks out from a normal play. And it just never, ever seemed to me. And again, I, I agree. It's not all Vance. It's a lot of it's the offensive coordinator, but I don't feel like I hardly ever was like, hmm, I wonder what the Broncos are going to do on this play. You know, it was like, you kind of could tell by the, by the formation. And, and oh, they, were, snap, they were very predictable. <laughs> yeah. Just, it was vanilla all year and, and that just doesn't work. But anyway, uh, just real quick, we'll mention, and we, we've talked plenty about this, so we don't have to go into it much, but it is interesting to note that Kaepernick and Ed Reed settled their collusion case against the NFL. Uh, it's a non-disclosure agreement, so we're yeah. never going to know what the terms were. We're not going to know what they admitted to, what they didn't admit to, or how, or how much money they got. It may not be much. I mean, it might have just been a symbolic victory. Uh, I personally don't even think Kaepernick really wants to play in the NFL anymore. I think he's making more money uh, being the spokesperson for Nike and being, you know, creating that brand around himself. And I don't think he's ever going to make, or I don't think he has, really cares to play in the NFL anymore. He did turn down an offer to play in the ALL as well as Tim Tebow did. But of course, Tebow is, is close to maybe possibly even playing in the big leagues with the Mets. So I, I can understand why he wouldn't want to leave. But uh, Kaepernick kind of surprised me, except that, if Kaepernick were to take that contract and play in that league, I, I, I can see it two ways, right? I mean, A, he, has a, he plays amazing, has a great year, two years there, and then NFL gives him another shot. Or NFL is kind of like, see, you couldn't make the NFL, you can only make the ALL or AAL, whatever it's called, and, uh, and then ruins his chances to ever play. But, hey, why not go there and, uh, and crush the competition? Because, you know, you're talking about a significantly re- – reduced talent pool you know his kind of style of play might work really well there 
Well, you know, there's a couple. I'll give you one point that I think. Um, Kaepernick hasn't played an actual down of football in, what, three years now? If he goes to the AAL and falls completely on his face, everyone's just going to be pointing the fingers, fingers at him, and they're going to lose him as a sponsor. He's going to lose his sponsorship money because he, right. he'd fall flat on his face. So, you know, granted, you could have a great year, but people are going to say, well, you're playing in the AAL, not the NFL. And it was for, for Kaepernick, it kind of seems like a no-win situation for him. Whether he does bad or does good, it's going to be like, well, you're kind of in a secondary league of practice players. You know, you have the practice squad players from other teams and so on and so forth. Um, so it was almost kind of a no-win situation. Tebow, Tebow, he – I mean, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs already have the Tebow package for when um, Tebow comes to town. You can buy the Tebow package. Take advantage of your uh, of your players. I totally understand. I might have to. I, have, I might have to. I might have to look at the schedule and see if I have to fly home one week and call up Kurt and say, "Let me get to the stadium and watch a little Tebow." <laughs> yeah, especially if you can get like into the in the hallway or something, you know, and uh, and uh, see the man in the flesh getting it on. So, uh, you well, know, I, I, I mean, all the luck. With Pedro, when Pedro came down there, I was down for his press conference with his uh, translator, um, and I know for a fact that uh, if, when Tebow comes to town, they will have a press conference down in the lower bowls where the, uh, the both locker rooms are, or clubhouses are. So, you know, that, that might be a really good thing to actually think about, <laughs> getting a little Tebow interview action. And like I said, I, I wish him good luck. I wish uh... – uh, Tebow, good luck in baseball. I have nothing against either of these guys. I think they're good people. Uh, I didn't want Kaepernick on my team, and I was happy when Tebow left my team. So uh, no yeah. problems there. But uh, I, I agree with you, though, about the sponsorship thing. I think if he signs with any team, AAL or NFL, I think the sponsorship with Nike may go go away because they lose their their um, – the message gets muddled at that point. You know, it's like, well, you, you got a place to play. So you're all good. And – uh, you know, while I, I don't think the whole uh, controversy with kneeling helped him at all, I still don't think that's why he didn't get a job. I think that that didn't help. I think that that if he was on the bubble for a team, I think that may have ended the bubble thought because he just mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, he didn't, uh, you know, it was like, well, if you're not going to be playing great and you're going to be a headache, then, you know, that's even more reason not to take you as the headache and the press and everything. But you're a bad team maybe you know no there's no such thing as bad press if you don't get press right so i was kind of surprised right. that, like the i still think the titans should have probably signed him when Mariota went down could have signed him for a couple of games let him play like three games then release him at the end of the year when Mariota's healthy and that would have killed the whole collusion case and everything and killed all the hoopla because they'd be like oh we brought him in and, and then we still didn't do that well so we're letting him go and then that would have just kind of been the end of it but anyway uh you know, it's, it's nice. At least they finally got the thing taken care of, and we don't have to hopefully hear about it a whole lot more. Um, I was going to jump over uh, to fantasy baseball top ten first baseman, but did you have any other topics you wanted to cover before I do that? Uh, you know, I actually, you know, since we were just, I, I don't want to harp on the Kaepernick thing too much, but uh, I just saw an article, um, a store, and I don't remember what state this was in decided to boycott Nike and not sell Nike shoes in their oh. shoe store. The store went out of business in a month. <laughs> you know, that's, that is hilarious. I, you know, that was a store here in Colorado. Um, and and it was, that it was, okay. 
Yeah, what was the store called? Um, I, I, I don't remember. He'd been around for a while. Anyway, he's a guy who was store back down in uh, in Colorado Springs. And yeah, yeah, that's he right. Really angry about what was going on with Tebow and or not with Tebow with Kaepernick, and decided to not sell anything Nike because of that. Well, Nike is, you know, I mean that's, I think they're the biggest sports brand out there, and yeah, yeah, why, why would you do that? That doesn't, uh, you know, I, I get that he was trying to make a political statement and all that kind of stuff, but man, it, this is your business. Don't. Don't bring politics into your business. Sure, it helped a couple of places that like, you know, like that that one baker that wouldn't bake the cake or the one person that uh, that one restaurant okay. that wouldn't yeah. serve somebody and gets a whole bunch of donations and stuff. But more often than not, all you're doing is is driving people away from your business because people don't want to be stressed out going to a restaurant. People don't want to be stressed out going, you know, you, if you go to a store, what do you want to do? You want to go find what you're looking for and get the hell out of the store, Right. Otherwise, you're going to order it off of Amazon. So, just a a foolish, a foolish. It was it was called Primetime Sports, and yeah, uh, okay, that's what it was. And their blowout and sales. Was for a while, too. <laughs> oh yeah, twenty five years I think, or twenty one years. So yeah, yeah. It's not it, like uh, it was just a store that opened up. He's been around a while. Yeah, and uh, but then again, I mean, I, I, who knows if that was the only thing that happened, or if people just you know this Very could true. still just be. An online online ordering killing stores kind of thing. So, but yeah, that was uh, I forgot about. That. I'm glad you brought that up. That was kind of funny to see that uh, whole thing go down. It's like, wow, man, you really sacrificed your business just just because yeah. you didn't like what he was <laughs> one player, you know. But uh, anyway, um, so uh, don't forget tonight is the All Star Event Challenges. Uh, this is actually to me a more exciting day than the actual All Star Game which will be Sunday. Uh, I might actually watch it on Sunday since I don't have to go into work on Monday morning. So it uh, might be actually worth a watch. And we, and we, and we got the, we got the two teams that, you know, that you and I, I, we predicted, I think to a T the starters anyway, I think we nailed the draft order and, and how the teams went. I so I think that was we did. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, see how our teams do against each other. And, uh, but I do think that the day before is a more exciting, interesting day. There's these, the, the uh, challenge, I think it's called, it's where the it's usually point guards, but sometimes some, some shooting guards. But you know, you have to bounce the ball through a tire. You have to hit a free throw, hit a layup, dribble around like I don't know. We call those little standing things. You have to dribble, uh, you know, back and forth through the line, uh, and then the person with the fastest time wins that one. So that's a that's a fun competition. They they I think they discontinued the one I loved, which was where you had a current NBA player for that city, a current WNBA player from that city, and then an all-time great player from that team. And they would play like, kind of like, not, I don't know if it was around the world, but like one of them would shoot a, a shot right next to the hoop, like kind of like a layup shot. Uh, then somebody would shoot a free throw. Then somebody shot a three-pointer. Then somebody shot like a mid-distance. And then, and then they all took turns doing the half court shots to try and hit one. You remember that game? Yeah, you know, I do remember that. That was a, that was a really good idea, especially bringing in um, the WNBA into the mix with the big guys because um, the WNBA season um, is a shorter season. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see because hockey did that this year too. There was a couple, um, a couple from the U.S. US squad that competed in some of the skills competitions uh, with the guys this year. 
Uh, so it was really nice to see them include the women. And, you know, it'd be nice to see the NBA to include the women too because, you know, women's basketball over the last, say, 15 years have, has, has come light years to where it used to be to where it is now. Oh, yeah, a, a outstanding growth, good ticket sales, good viewership. I mean, they put together a nice product. It actually kind of reminds you of the old school men's college game where you didn't, you didn't see very many dunks. You saw, you saw good plays. You saw good passing. You saw good uh, you know, development of plays, and, and, and it was fun to watch. But I agree it was great. It was, the, you know, it was fun. You got to have all those players out there. And I think they actually stopped that competition. Um, I, I think they stopped it a couple of years ago, that one event, which I was really bummed because I thought that was really fun to watch. And then, of course, you have the three-point contest, which is always a, is a crowd pleaser. I mean, who doesn't like watching yeah. that? And then uh, now the dunk contest, and I think you and I have said more than a few times that we're kind of over the dunk contest. It, every dunk is a seven, or excuse me, an eight or nine or a ten. Uh, usually, usually they're all nines and tens, you know, yeah, uh, which is they, they fine. But I mean, it's kind of boring, you know. It's like eh, okay, you know. We got, you know, the, somebody's going to do the try and do it from the half court, but no one looks as good as Jordan did doing it. Someone's going to try doing a backwards dunk or throwing a ball up that hits the backboard, grabbing it and jamming a windmill. Some guy's going to do a double windmill with basketball in both hands. And none of these dunks aren't good. It's just there's only so many ways you can dunk the ball. Well, and, and the thing that we saw last year actually – we had some new schoolers in the dunk contest that actually brought some creativity back to the dunks because um, we're getting a lot of the kids that grew up playing, you know, street ball a lot of places. And and here's something that I actually, I think I said this last year, let's bring in some of these, some, you know, some kids from Hollis, Hollis, Queens, New York, that are, are street ballers that are throwing down these ridiculous dunks on the playground and let them go against the NBA stars. Have the playgrounders and the stars go at go at it team wise? Why not? I think that would be really exciting, and you get you get some notoriety from some of these these guys that are out there playing in, in Hollis, you know, twenty you know seven days a week at night and throwing down these absolutely insane dunks. But um, you know, there's a lot of ways the NBA could actually make the dunk, the dunk contest a lot more exciting now. Actually, that's a really cool idea. I like that. I mean, have, have, have three NBA dunkers and have three of those guys. Uh, and then you cumulative scores, you know, who wins. And that would be great. I, I could see the NBA saying no, because it wouldn't be showcasing just their players. It would be showcasing non NBA players, which I don't think right. would help. Them. But I, as for a, as a pure fan focused idea, that's fantastic. I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch, but we all know that that's not how they make decisions. And um, exactly. that Adam Silver, who's done a fantastic job as the commissioner of the NBA. I mean, boy, there has been not much yeah. controversy. There has not been much issues. You don't hear about players getting arrested or having, you know, legal issues anymore. And the sport is growing by leaps and bounds. And you've had some very amazing super teams that have sprung up. I, I think you got to count him as having a, a, a fantastic success. I mean, and, and any controversies that have come up, boy, he he squashes them in two seconds, and he's not he's not gruff, he's not grumpy, he's not you know a, you know authoritative or anything. He just he's very logical, and he's obviously very very intelligent, and he just knows how to 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 hit things right in the media to just diffuse them. And uh, so he's been the the NFL, I guess, has a, more than a few owners have reached out to him. 
in uh, we want to bring you in as the NFL commissioner. And, uh, you know, you, you're, you're obviously you're doing everything you could want to do with the NBA, but NFL makes a lot more money and we can pay you a lot of money to be yeah. our commissioner. He's rebuffed any of that so far in his comments. Uh, never know what might happen down the line, but yeah, so far that hasn't been uh, something they've been willing to do, but they'd certainly like to bring him in. So, no, uh, just go would because I mean, the, the NBA front office and then the whole league runs very smooth right now under Adam Silver, and he, he's a great commissioner. Yeah, some people just have it. You know, there's, there's just a thing about leadership, and it's not something that can be taught. People either, people either gravitate to you or they don't. And when you're one of those people that people gravitate to you, being a leader is a good position for you because people work harder for you and you can get everyone rowing in the same direction. I know personally from the number of sales jobs that I've had in, the, in, my, in my history, on my resume, the managers made all the difference. When you had a person that everyone could get on board with and everyone's like, okay, I see what we're trying to do. I see how we're going to try and get there and there's our path and here's our sales cycle and let's go. And those companies, divisions all did well. And the ones where you had um, basically where you had the sales force bickering and rumors and gossiping all the time about the management, those places never did well uh, because no one was Mm -hmm. driving towards a single cohesive goal. And Adam Silver's got that and the NFL could use that. So I, I see why they want to bring him in. I also have heard that he's been contacted by scores of uh, Fortune 500 companies that would love to have him be their CEO. So obviously this guy is, has got the goods outside of just uh, just in his sport. So let's jump on to fantasy f- uh, first baseman. We got about 15 minutes left here. Fantasy first base. Uh, used to be a power position. This used to be a spot where you were going to get your big bopper. You were going to get a 35, 40 home run guy. You were going to get that guy that was a kind of an anchor player for you. And you didn't have to take him early because it was going to be good players down the line. It's not like that anymore. First base has become a thin position. Now it's helped a little bit by players with multiple position eligibility that is going away. Uh, or will be going away next year, even more severe than this year. So uh, number one on the list, they have Freddie Freeman. Freddie plays for the Atlanta Braves. Freddie got hurt last year. I don't even remember what his total stats were, but they've got him listed as the top overall first baseman draftable in this year. I, I don't, really agree with that um and you know i'm sorry it wasn't last year that he got hurt it was the year before i apologize last year he yeah was it, it was the year before that's why he's up so high but I, I don't know i mean he's he's still in his prime right he's 29 years old he's uh he's got a his, the team around him is getting better they've got ronald acuna they've got albies that uh nate was talking about earlier in the show so you know I, he's got the lineup around him to help him do well I can see why he'd be a high pick. I think that you have to be realistic about him. You're going to get a probably a 290 batting average, maybe 300. I think you're going to get 20 to 25 homers. I think you're going to get 90 to 100 ribbies. You're probably going to get 90, 80 to 90 runs. Um, you know, uh, not a bad, not nothing, nothing wrong with those numbers. They're not superstar numbers, and that's that's kind of points to the the drop-off in the position, I guess you would say, 
that that you know that it, that he's not a top level player, and the first one being ranked. The yeah, number no, two I'm, player. You're pulling, you're, pu- you're pulling ESPN uh, just so everybody knows where your list is coming from. It's the ESPN.com's uh, fantasy first baseman lineup. I'm just going to throw some conjecture in here because I have FanDuel's up real quick. Huh? Freddie Freeman is their third pick. Just to, to kind of give you a, a, a different view um, from a different company. Ooh. Just want to throw. Let me, let me let me throw this out there. So is is Paul Goldschmidt their number one? Yes, he is. Is Anthony Rizzo their number two? Yes, he is. Okay, so just kind of a swapping, basically, uh, just knocking Freddie down a couple of spots. And you know what? Yeah. I personally would I, – I like that list better, and I am more of a fan duel agreeer. Um, I, I pulled ESPN because they're kind of the – if you're just starting out, you never played before, you're probably going to go with a lot of information from ESPN. And I'm a big fan of Eric Carabell who's one of their fantasy gurus, but he's more of a rotisserie type guy uh, as opposed to a, or a total points categories to a head to head points league, mm-hmm. which is why, which is what I favor. So I like the list that you put out there. Goldschmidt, you know, Nate talked about, does he have a bounce back year with St. Louis? Is there a good shot at that? Is he going to have a good lineup around him? Uh, I would have no problem with that. Uh, he is going to be 30. So he's not – I mean, it's not old in baseball. Baseball, you don't get old until maybe 34, 35, and sometimes 36 before you really have right. a big drop-off. But, uh, you know, the guy can still hit 30 homers. He could still hit uh, bat near 300. Um, I, he doesn't steal much anymore. That might be something in the past. I mean, it's only a few years ago he hit 30 steals, but uh, under 20 last year, under 10 this past year. So I think that that might be a gone thing. Um, but his runs and his RBIs easily could go back up to 100 uh, playing on St. Louis. So could be a real good team. Um, now, number three, uh, number well, number three on my list, number two on your list is the Anthony Rizzo. A, a huge bounce back candidate. I mean, Rizzo is young enough and on a talented enough team that I would have no problem taking a big risk on him, grabbing him in the late second, early third, if you could get him. Might not even be able to get him that late. But, you know, he's a gold glover. He's not going to lose his position. He should easily go back up to 30 home runs. I don't see any reason why he won't bat his typical 275 to 295. He's going to get his 60 to 70 to 80 runs. He's going to get his 100 ribbies. And all those numbers could increase this year from last year. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a – I think he's a fine pick. Um, and, and again, he's 29 years old. So, you know, he, he, he's still in his prime. I mean, 27 to, to 31 is pretty much your prime. So, you know, don't, don't ever get too down on a guy who's shown talent just because he had an off year or two. Sometimes things just aren't working in your favor and there's a lot of luck in baseball. So, uh, yeah. So number next on my list is Cody Bellinger. How about on the fan duel list? Uh, the FanDuel list, uh, let's see here. Actually, they have Jose Abreu. That's interesting. I would not – I'm not high on him, and that doesn't mean he won't do well. In fact, if you listen to the show for a few years, you probably figure, yeah, I, I probably don't know what I'm talking about, and you'd probably be right. I uh, Abreu has – he kind of burst onto the scene, right? He – uh, he was crushing it. He he 
I didn't remember how many home runs he hit that first rookie season he had. Uh, well, he, what, he what, what's that? Yeah, he crushed that year. I, I, I'm with you on this one. I don't like him here because I had him last year on one of my teams. I had two teams. He was on one of my teams last year, and he was overall kind of a disappointment. Um, it was uh, Both my leagues were head-to-head last year. I dropped their rotisserie league. Um, he was kind of a disappointment on the team um, on a weekly basis. You know, he'd have a good game, and then all of a sudden you wouldn't hear from him for a couple of days. Yeah, you know, he strikes out um, not a terrible amount, but more than you like to see. I mean, he hasn't played many, very many full. He hasn't played a full season in a couple of years, but I mean, he could strike out 125 times, 130 times. Right. Not not Ryan Howard level strikeouts, but you know, if, if you get a negative point for a strikeout, then he he can hurt you. And I don't think he's going to be. He's not a bad player. I'm not not saying that, but you know, 275, 20 homers, 75 ribbies. 65 runs that that's not out of the realm of of likelihood for him uh you know you might be able to get lucky with a homer explosion back in the 30s but you know maybe they get Machado or Bryce Harper on the on the White Sox maybe but other than that I I you know probably not as for Cody Bellinger hey the guy's young he's 23 he's only played two years in the bigs they've both been good years had a monster year his rookie season, hitting almost 40 dingers, getting rookie of the year. Last year he was a 260 average, which is about the same, but he dropped off to 25 homers, 75 ribbies, um, 84 runs. I mean, you know, he had a little bit of drop off. Still had 14 steals. Very good fantasy player, uh, even though he may not be a great for a rotisserie for a points league. The guy was pretty good. He'll consistently put you know 15 to 20 points in that board a lot of weeks. Uh, does strike out too much. But, you know, he had his great rookie season. He had his sophomore slump. It, 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 he's, a, he's a prime candidate to have that explosion um, in his third year uh, coming back. We'll see if he can make the adjustments that he needs to make. But uh, I, do, I do champion that pick. Uh, let's see. We've got Matt uh, – excuse me. On the ESPN list next is Joey Votto. How about for FanDuel? FanDuel. Okay. So – they got Matt Carpenter at five and Cody Bellinger at six. Interesting. Yeah, so ESPN has Matt Carpenter coming just after. Uh, well, actually, they have him coming after Jose Abreu. So these lists do 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 deviate quite a bit. Um, I'm not a Vat- Vato fan. I've never been a Vato fan. Guy's old now. This guy is 35 years yeah. old. Baseball that is starting to get old. Production has been declining. I think he's still going to give you power. If you're just looking for 30 dingers. I would say draft him. But if you're worried about a low batting average, um, it's not going to be a low batting average, but I mean, 280 is fine. But I don't think that he's going to be, I don't think you're looking at 300s anymore. I think that you you could see a drop off in uh, down all the way to 20 home runs. When power goes away, it kind of goes away quickly. So, you know, be, 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 be paying attention to that, I guess. Um, Matt Carpenter. I mean, he's so hard to predict. He he doesn't seem to be consistent. I think he's going to get 100 runs. He's probably going to get 100 uh, or 80 RBIs. Home runs, who knows? He had 36 home runs that year, last year. He had 20 the three years before that, 22, 23. I don't know what the hell this guy's going to do. Um, batting average has been 
not good, 240s, 250s. So you're getting a Bryce Harper average without a Bryce Harper power, except right. for last year. Uh, maybe he does it again, right? I mean, he's young. He's he's what? Oh, no, he's 33. Holy cow, I didn't know he was that old. So he's the I most home runs of his up there. Yeah, the most home runs of his career the last season. That's interesting at 32. So I, I don't know what to do about him. Um, ne- ne- and this is where the list, this is why I'm talking about why this list goes down so quick. Then my list goes Carlos Santana, Edwin Encarnacion, uh, Jesus Aguilar, Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo, that guy bats like 210 and strikes out like 160 times, and he's like number 11 or, or whatever on this list. That shows you how thin the position is, that they'll take you drop anything just to get some power. So pretty weak overall. And then Justin Smoke, the guy who finally, after 10 years of being the guy who was going to break out, actually broke out and, and had a good year. But uh, eh, I don't know if you want to put a whole lot of faith in him. Uh, how does the uh, VanDuel uh, list end out? Okay, so they go up to eight on here. Uh, they got Votto of the Reds at seven and Matt Olson of the Athletics at eight. Who? Um, Matt Olson the from the Oakland Athletics at eight. Yep. Really? Wow. That's a surprise. I, I, I that could be that's right. That's a surprise though. to me, too. That, that, that's a stretch for me at, at eight. Um, I do agree with you with Votto. You kind of really never – he's not going to be that consistent player for you. Uh, I, I've seen his stats, and, and it's I, – I just agree with you on that. It's, it's, it's a weird pick, and it shows you really how thin this position is. How do you spell – is Matt Olson is – it, is it, it's O-L-S-O-N, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, boy, that's an interesting – that one just kind of, kind of shocked me. So he's 24. Last year he batted – uh, 247 with 29 homers, 80 ribbies, 85 runs. He was a nice kind of a kind of a nice uh, uh, what do you call it a surprise and uh, got you some good value if you were able to draft him late in your draft. But you know putting your uh, eggs in his basket could be a dicey proposition. Uh, all right, and so that's our first 24, right? 24, yeah. So he's got he's got room so to grow. He's a young guy. Yeah. So uh, you know we're, that's that's our first baseman. Uh, fantasy segment i know it was kind of short uh but there's just it's just not a big position this year draft someone early or uh boy try and get some guy coming up from the minors who's going to start for his team because it's just not a thick position second base next week and everybody be safe out there enjoy the holiday weekend thanks for tuning in and don't don't forget to watch the all-star this afternoon have a good day offensive out to Old Navy. One day only, today. All jeans are 50% off. That's right, get 50% off all jeans for the family, even your favorite rock star styles. But hurry, it ends tonight at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 216 excludes in-store clearance. Hurry in to Old Navy. One day only, today. All jeans are 50% off. That's right, get 50% off all jeans for the family, even your favorite rock star styles. But hurry, it ends tonight at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 216 excludes in-store clearance.